0: ...to you with your name spelled right. And I know Joel likes to get mail because I think it's genetically passed on. I like to get mail. I like to get mail that comes to me, written by someone who cares. And so my commitment to our first son, who's about to graduate from the University of Northern Colorado at Greeley uh, next summer, was to write him the first year every Monday. And every Monday when we wrote, we agreed together when he left that every day that we weren't together... Each of us would read a chapter in the book of Proverbs. And then when we wrote or we talked, or now in our day we did email, we would talk about what we were seeing and learning from the book of Proverbs. And I made the same commitment. And before I came over here this morning, I mailed my first letter to my son Joel that I left in Seattle. And I began to share with him how I want him to read with me through the book of Proverbs, wisdom literature. For some reason, we're afraid of wisdom literature because it doesn't fall into real neat, tidy packages. Uh, Solomon and others who contributed to the wisdom literature wrote things that weren't designed to be packaged. They were designed to be pondered. The purpose of wisdom literature was to make you think, not make you think you have the answers. And in the process, he wrote Ecclesiastes, if you'll open to that in your Bibles. I think that he wrote it at the end of his life. I think he had seen a lot of life, and I think that Ecclesiastes is the journey, journal. Solomon wasn't perfect, nobody on the earth is. He had his troubles, we have ours. It seems as though Ecclesiastes is his journal. As you read through it, most of you know the repetitive phrase, vanity of vanity, all is vanity. It's empty. Life is empty. But when you get past about chapter 7, you start seeing less of that phrase and more and more does he become settled of soul about life. And so this morning for a couple of minutes before I give you my reminder, I want to give you some advice that I couldn't give because of emotion to my son. And if you ever run into Joel, you tell him what I said because I'm not sure that emotionally I could still communicate some of it to him. I'm just going to clip off the top of chapters. We're not going to go through Ecclesiastes verse by verse. Therefore, I would leave you in coma at the end of chapel. I don't want to do that. But I want us to just take the first verse of certain chapters and see what advice, after 30 days of school, Solomon might give you. Look at chapter 2, verse 1 of Ecclesiastes. He said to himself, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. You guys found out that this isn't camp now? This isn't camp. They require you to attend classes. Some of you may have... Uh, mid semester or midterm exams up until now you think some of you that you came here at mom and dad's expense for some of us to just have a good time surprise 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 your professors do not share your enthusiasm for pleasure they are into pain they are into demands you see pleasure doesn't satisfy As was prayed earlier, sometimes we get turned so inward. My advice to you is college is not primarily designed for your enjoyment. It is designed for your development. And if you get those confused, you're in trouble. When I went to Moody Bible Institute my first semester there years ago, we had people who majored in ping pong. They thought it was camp. Nobody was telling them where to go. Nobody was telling them what to do. And they knew when to make meals, and they knew when to make ping pong. Everything else was kind of incidental. Their career lasted 16 weeks. They were gone. I would say to my son, and I would say to you this morning, though there's a lot of fun and enjoyment to be had at college, that's not the primary reason you're at the master's college. You're here to develop. You're here to get an education. You're here to grow in your faith. Sometimes that will not be fun. And remember, fun in and of itself really doesn't satisfy. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Have you guys learned that time is kind of an elusive critter? Hard to get a hold of? Solomon knew that. He said, there is an appointed time for everything, and there's time or a time for every event under heaven. Do you believe that now after 30 days? How many of you, without raising your hands, but would say, I believe it, brother, are already behind? you're worried about reading that you haven't done you're worried about assignments because there was an appointed time but there was that person who was so interesting hanging out at the cafeteria and i just had to get to know her now i was supposed to have a paper ready and i was supposed to but she seemed much more important than any book of the bible that i could remember or there's a soccer game or there's something to do in the valley And there's a time to do this, and there's a time to do that, and there's an appointed time. And if you get those confused, you're going to be in a world of hurt. Your little date book, your little day timer will be vibrating in your pocket as a curse. Because you ignore it. There's an appointed time. Remember that. And there's only so much time. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. Guard your steps as you go to the house of God. Ecclesiastes 5.1. Draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know they are doing evil. Be careful when you go to the Lord's house. Be careful that you worship. One of the things I made clear to my son and one of the things that was done for him by his mother yesterday before she left Seattle was to take him to a local church. We don't want him to play church bingo. And I'm not referring to Catholic fundraising. We don't want them to play church bingo. Some of you are going to be tempted to do that. You'll go here for a while and there for a while and there for a while. Next thing you know, it's Christmas. You come back after Christmas and you're so busy and so carried away, you go here for a while, there for a while, and there for a while. Next thing you know, it's Easter, then it's May, then you're out of here. And all you've been able to do as a believer is bounce you bounced from this fellowship to that fellowship to that fellowship, depending what they were going to have for potluck or what musical program was going to be there. Please understand that we are to be careful as we go to the house of God. And I urge you guys, be careful as you go. Listen more than you talk. But be sure you go. And when you go, I encourage you to get attached to a local fellowship. Whether it's one of us convenient churches here in the canyon or you go someplace else, go and become attached to a local body and be careful. And as you go there, listen a lot more than you talk. Look at chapter 7, verse 1. Remember, this is just advice. And if you run into Joel, you tell him, your dad gave us advice. We want to pass it along to you. A good name is better than a good ointment. First half of the verse. Don't sacrifice your reputation. Nothing is more soothing or healing than when people bring your name up and when it's brought up, it brings recovery It brings soothing. It brings healing. When a teacher hears your name in the next two weeks, what will they think of? A person who's always up there griping about the fact that the test wasn't fair. They can always count on you. There are some people who believe that griping is a spiritual gift. It is here that they begin that. It is here where your name is mentioned in faculty meetings and other places, and people kind of roll their eyes. Is that kind of reputation you want? Or do you want your name, your reputation, to be such that when your name is mentioned, people want to be around you? Because when you're present, you're an agent of God. Your reputation is spotless. Don't lose your reputation in collateral reading. When I went to school, people read collateral reading by a fan. They would open the page and let the fan blow the pages. And then when they would get through, they would fill out the assignment and they lied. Even teaching in graduate school, I had men who were one to two years away from being pastors who had to come back and admit on take-home final exams that they cheated. Don't give up your name, because a good name is better than ointment. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, take a quick look there. These are parts of the Bible that most of us, you don't see these on bumper stickers. Especially this one. Did you guys read it? Dead flies make a perfumer's oil stink. So a little foolishness is weightier than wisdom and honor. Is that in the Bible? You bet. Why is it in the Bible? Just a little bit of stupid can mess up a lot of smart. That's right. Just a little bit. Have you noticed uh, some of you who take more care of your face than others? that there might be one reflection of your adolescence popping out there. And as you look at it in the mirror, you have a whole face that's well done, but there's just one spot. So you spend the whole day talking to people like this. Because it's just one little spot, but it seems to affect the whole. Please understand, in your college career, this piece of advice is critical. Because some believe this is the time in your life when you should be stupid, do crazy, Do that which is unwise and foolish. I say to you, no. There is nothing more tragic than to sit down with people who have lived a life, men and women, but mostly men that I've gone to school with, who have had careers in ministry, 15, 18, 20, 25, like me, 26 years. But there was just that time at Ventura with the secretary. One stupid deed. Like flies in a perfumer's ointment, it messed up the whole thing. Granted, you can be forgiven. God can restore. But the consequences sometimes continue. God does not eradicate the consequences. Be wise while you're here. Understand that a thoughtless, careless act, somewhere in the dormitory, somewhere on the road, somewhere on an athletic field, somewhere in a classroom, that deed done that you know is unwise, has the potential of messing up the whole jar of perfume. And your entire four, five, or six-year career, depending on how fast you get through this institution, will be tainted by one strange, stupid, unwise, foolish little thing. Look at chapter 12, the last one. Out in our valley, we had a man living here in Canyon Country a number of years ago. His name was Stuart Hamlin. Uh, I helped conduct the funeral for Mr. Hamblin. He was a country-western author, singer, poet, and everything else. He took these words in this part of Ecclesiastes and turned it into a song. Most of you probably don't know it. Some of you might. It's called This Old House. Solomon comes to the 12th chapter and he says, you know one of the problems with time is it catches you. Before it catches you, remember your Creator. Look at verse 1. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near when you will say, I have no delight in them. You guys are young, full of all your hormones. Please be careful of hormonal hurricanes. Uh, You guys are in the prime. Use your prime to serve the Creator. All too soon you will have to be like me, glued together by Advil all too soon rheumatism arthritis and all the things that come with age and he delineates them in this passage now is the time don't say boy just as soon as i graduate from the masters college as soon as i don't have the schedule of classes and all those things then i'm going to get busy serving christ if you don't serve christ here there's a great chance you won't serve him after here and after you're gone you're going to be more tired than you think you've ever been even in the final weeks that you have here don't wait Serve him now. While all the juices are flowing, all the digits are functioning, and you can still see, serve him. Don't wait. Because in time, your service will be limited to some degree by age itself. That's my advice. Now my reminder. One of the things that struck me two years ago at a place called Horn Creek Conference Family Center, I was responsible to lead the singing, which tells you how bad things had gotten there. Uh, I don't sing very good in terms of leading people. I enjoy singing for the most part, but uh, leading people is not good. And one night we had people like you request they wanted to sing more and they wanted to sing more hymns. They were a little threadbare on praise choruses. So I began to go through hymns and as I went through the hymns, I began to discover that many of the hymns, at least in one line, always referred to a theme that I hadn't seen in a song that I'm aware of, there are some I understand, but not many, a theme that's been lost in music, and I think we need to be reminded this morning that it's a theme that needs to be brought back to the front of our evangelical thinking. We've gotten so into us and so into how to grow churches and so into so many controversies, we've even quit arguing about this particular theme. I looked in vain after I went through a hymnal that had at least one verse given over to this theme in virtually every hymn that I looked at. I began to go through chorus books, even the more recent chorus books. And I had a hard time finding one song that sang about the return of Jesus Christ to the earth. When was the last time you heard, maybe you have recently here at the college at chapel, a clear reminder that tonight, today Jesus Christ could be back before you have lunch? He will physically, bodily return to this planet. We've lost that theme. We don't sing about it anymore. We don't preach about it like we should. We don't teach about it like we should. We don't even argue about it anymore like we used to. It's a lost theme. And therefore, what we have is a church that in some ways and believers who've forgotten their future. So I want to give you a few reminders about this. Number one, we need to re knew our commitment and your understanding of the fact that Jesus Christ could come back because it's everywhere in the Bible. It starts as early as the book of Genesis. Virtually every one of the 66 books, with maybe five or six exceptions, in some way makes allusion to the fact that the history that you and I are a part of is linear, not primarily cyclical. Many people in our culture today believe that history is just repeating itself. And it is in some ways Solomon would tell us in Ecclesiastes, there is nothing new under the sun. It keeps repeating, but it's repeating in a linear direction. As I stand before you and you sit in front of me this morning, this world in which we live is going to end. And it will culminate with the return of Jesus Christ, which will be the trigger to set in motion the conclusion of this world. We have earthquakes. We have famines, we have wars, all of those things as Jesus sat or stood on the Mount of Olives and took two precious chapters in the book of Matthew to remind his followers that what they saw was not everything, there was more to come. Almost all of Jesus' parables have a return element in them. One third of his preaching or more has the return of Jesus Christ in it, My. Dear young friends, we have forgotten this. We have forgotten that before the sun sets tonight, He could come in the eastern sky and it'll be over. We need to be reminded of the return of Christ because it's everywhere in the Bible. Everywhere you turn, you'll find some allusion to the return of Jesus Christ. It should affect my living now. Turn to 1 John chapter 3, verses 1-3. through One of the reasons that we sometimes are a little lax in bringing this up is because we have become such now Christians. What can Jesus do for me now? What can he do in me now? And we get this Jesus and me thing going and we forget that the future has a tremendous impact on how I behave now. First John chapter three, verse one. See how great a love the father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. Such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are the children of God and it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Why do we struggle with the holiness that we sang about this morning? Why do we have to repeatedly admit over and over that we have failed? One of the reasons is we've left one of the primary motivators out. If I really believe that Jesus Christ is coming back and one day I'm going to be completely like him, even my sin nature is going to be eradicated, that causes me to address that issue now. It causes me to say, Lord, if you were to come, am I ready? You guys know how this works, don't you? Uh, This eventual thing. How many of you enjoy a professor who puts in his syllabus, from week to week we will have pop quizzes? How many of you would like it if you put up for the final exam, I've just decided to keep the final exam a surprise and I'll just give it to you one day when you come to class. Now, most of you would go immediately to somebody important and say, this guy's not being fair. But he understands us. If he tells you on pop quizzes, you don't know. And by the way, this works in home life. Man alive, don't ever tell my wife you're just going to stop by. Give us the date and the hour you'll be by. Because at my house, I like to kind of, when I come in, I take things and just lay them down. I consider gravity works, and when they hit the floor, they're in their place. And that upsets Sharon. But when somebody says to us, whether they're from out of town or nearby... We'll be by next week. That creates incredible chaos at my house. I can no longer lay things down. They disappear. I can no longer relax when a car pulls up in front of the house. Sharon begins to go into putter, Mach 4. And all of a sudden, everything gets picked up because it could be them. You see, the Lord knows us. And He knows that if we have an anticipated event that we really believe is going to happen, we fix our hope on it, it dramatically affects the way we function now. That's why we need to rekindle and revive the return of Jesus Christ as something that we talk about more. Turning your Bibles to First Thessalonians chapter 4. If there were ever two letters in the New Testament that were chuck full of the return of Jesus Christ, these are those letters. In First Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul, who was only with these folks at three Sabbaths, he says, at the most four weeks, was able to communicate to them an incredible amount of stuff. But one of the things he got across to them was the imminent. Jesus Christ could come back at any time. And let me reiterate that. Sometimes when we get to arguing and discussing about the return of Jesus Christ, somebody thinks that there have to be more vultures in Israel than there currently are before Jesus can come back. Every now and then I get a piece of mail across my desk. Eggs have been hatched in Israel. Enough vultures now to take care of the Armageddon carnage. Okay. Somebody found a utensil for the last temple. It was discovered on a road outside of Hebron. Get ready. Jesus is coming back. Okay. There is nothing, absolutely nothing that I'm aware of in Scripture That has to happen that we could record in history before Jesus returns and receives his church in the air. Have you ever been... How many have been to funerals? Raise them high. Probably, unfortunately, some of you, even at your young age, have maybe had to say goodbye to a mom or a dad. Boy, that's hard. One of the things that happens here at Grace and happens in other places I served as pastors is mortuaries call us. Mortuaries tell us, when I used to take students over to Forest Lawn in Hollywood... 65% 65% of the people who call a mortuary do not have a pastor. All of a sudden, the real thing of life has occurred. Somebody died. They don't know what to do. So sometimes we get called in on those. Even over here at Friendly, or not Friendly Valley, they're still alive there, Eternal Valley. Uh, <laughs> we get called from Eternal Valley and they'll call and they'll say, Tom, could you come over? Some folks have had a death. They don't have anyone to do the service. I've been to some tough places before, but one of the toughest is to go to a place where they have no hope regarding the return of Jesus Christ in relation to the one they've laid aside. There's crying, there's weeping, there's mourning. There's an attempt to be tender and close at the funeral, but somehow nothing can make up for the passage that I'm about to read to you. Look at verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. That's his word for dead that you may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Now listen closely. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. They need a six-foot head start. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the, air, the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, conduct seminars and argue with one another about these words. Is that what your Bible says? <laughs> it doesn't, does it? You know what it's like to go to a funeral when we lay aside a brother or sister? It's hard. I flew home this summer to bury a delightful 92-year-old man named Sam Cornett. Delightful brother. Cabinet maker was his career in life. We walked away from that funeral. And we didn't walk away with our heads down. We walked away grieving. But our hope was, as we said goodbye to Sam in the presence of the Lord, it's not goodbye. See you later. One of the marvelous truths that you and I have, Sharon and I have, I have my mother and father on the other side, gone to be with the Lord. Sharon's dad's with the Lord. We have a little baby girl that's with the Lord. What a difference when we come to that moment and try to manage it that we know that when Jesus returns, he will raise those who have died in Christ and we're all going to be with the Lord forever. So we never say goodbye to our brothers and sisters in Christ who have died. You see, we've lost that. We've tried to analyze the grief process and go through it. And we need to help each other as much as we can, but please understand the major comfort that we're extending to one another when we lay a brother or sister aside in their grave is that this is a comma, not a period. We'll see you later. We will not be overcome with grief because we look forward to the appointment we have with each other later. Do you guys struggle with justice with the trial of the century? Do you think justice will ever be done? The second coming of Jesus Christ, just write it down, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5-10. through 10. In fact, the strongest word... That Paul uses, the only time he uses that I could find, the word Maranatha. You guys know what Maranatha means? Oh Lord, come. The only time I could find it used in the New Testament was 1 Corinthians 16.22. Associated with an anathema. A curse. Oh Lord, come back and settle accounts. Let OJ be OJ, but God will be God. Edo will Edo, but God is God. And all this talk and pictures and everything else for months with final arguments this week, they're all there and we're all pretty sure that maybe not the best is going to occur at the end of this, but God will be God. And when it's all over and God settles history, nobody will stand with you except the Lord Jesus who know him personally before the judgment seat of Christ. He's going to settle all accounts. When you see people get done dirty and done wrong and it happens to you, That doesn't mean you dismiss justice and you don't try to pursue it, but it means one day, because of the return of Jesus Christ, justice will be settled correctly and right according to the standard of God. It also clears up the who's a Christian issue. Who is a believer? Let me tell you, ten minutes after the rapture, it's going to be real clear. Real clear. Those left aren't. The ones that are gone are. I like that. I believe the Sunday following the rapture, churches will meet. I think they're going to have a real attendance problem in some cases. And I believe there will be pastors who will lead their churches in worship the Sunday following the rapture. But if any of them are aware of the scriptures, it's going to be painfully clear, what are we doing here? What happened? Where did they go? Finally, the wheat. And the tares are going to be separated. The sheep and the goats will be separated decisively. There's not going to be, I wonder if, I hope so. It will be absolutely clear who is a Christian and who isn't. If we would begin to revive the concept of the return of Jesus Christ, we would have a proper reason for seriously reflecting on whether we're a believer or not. It reminds me where I belong. Turn to First Thessalonians already there, chapter five, verses nine and ten. For God has not First Thessalonians chapter five, verse nine, God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with Him. Therefore, argue with one another over these things. Is that what it says? One of the reasons we're struggling with encouraging one another is we're trying to encourage from within and around rather than ahead. Encourage one another and build up one another just as you are also doing. Folks, we're not designed for staying here on earth. Peter in the first verse of his epistle, calls it calls us aliens. We're pilgrims. We're passing through. Our stay here is short. Remember the... The old chorus years ago, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. We're moving through. That doesn't mean we're supposed to do silly things or premature things or reckless things. It simply means that we must remember that the Lord's return reminds us that we belong someplace else. We're not bound for here. And some of you are thinking, well, I've heard this all the time. People talking about Jesus coming back, Jesus coming back. And he still hasn't come back. My grandpa talked about it. My father talked about it. My mother talked about it. My great-grandmother talked about it. Now, where's Jesus? Second Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and following. With the Lord, a day is as what? A thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. As I reminded our people yesterday, God does not use a Cassio to keep time. Since Jesus left, it could be, according to Peter's instruction in 2 Peter 3, 8 and following, that it's only been two days since Jesus left the earth, 2,000 years. He's in no hurry. He's got plenty of time. We don't belong here. We're moving on. And no matter how long he wants to delay, we're to always be ready. That's why he said he could come back at any moment. At the Colorado Springs airport a couple of Junes ago, early June in Colorado Springs, strange weather. And from Southern California, when I'm there in early June, I wear everything I own. Everything. And so I came with my uh, doofus hat on, and I had my, I had, I can't describe all that I had on, but there was a lot of underwear on and everything. And I looked like the Hulk coming into the airport to pick up Sharon. And running in front of me through, it had just slushed and snowed and done horrible things. You could see your breath real good. A guy goes by me with thongs on, throwing ice in the air with his thong. Dressed in shorts. And with a real colorful shirt on, just making a beeline for the terminal. Pretty soon, other people start going by me like that. Now, what's happening, people? Don't they know where they're at? Don't they know the kind of weather? I've heard people in the springs are crazy. This is ridiculous. They have a thermostat problem. So here I go with my, my big, heavy snow boots on, and I go banging. Finally, so many people are going by me. I have to go see where they're going. Either they're going to an asylum or something I need to know about. So I go down, make a right-hand turn, United Airlines, DC-10, headed for where? Hawaii. They knew where they were going. They didn't belong in that snow and that slush and everything else. They were dressed and packed to go to paradise. And there I was, the abominable snowman. Are you guys packing for paradise? Because without a moment's notice, that's where you could be in your next heartbeat. In paradise. How are you packing? There's an old hymn. It's really associated with Psalm 90, verse 10. Some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away. To a home on God's celestial shore, I'll fly away. When the shadows of this life have gone I'll fly away like a bird from prison bars has flown. I'll fly away just a few more weary days and then to a land where joys never end. I'll fly away. I'll fly away. Oh, glory. I'll fly away. When I die. Hallelujah. By and by. I'll fly away. Some of us may not die before we fly away. Let's revive the return. Let's pray. Will you stand with me? Father, sometimes the circumstances of the return of Jesus Christ are much more attractive to us when things are bad. Some of these young people have all of life before them. All the opportunities and possibilities and adventures that rest in the heart of you. My fear is that we will lose those or shortchange those if we try to live those without the return of Jesus Christ clearly in view. Before I would finish talking with you, Jesus Christ might come back. That should dramatically, unbelievably alter the way I conduct my life from day to day. Not hurrying through. Father, not doing things prematurely for fear they would be interrupted. To assume to do premature would indicate how immature we really are. I pray that you will revive in us the reality of the imminent return of Jesus Christ to this planet. And how that ought to affect the people of God. And the people of God in this place this morning said, Amen. Lord bless you. Have a good day.